Welcome to the Kelly Cardenas Podcast, where attitude is everything, the 98.2. Uh, today, I am so excited to be able to have on the, uh, on the podcast one of my favorite human beings in the, uh, in the world, and her title, I think, is the greatest of all time, which is Aunt Pam. Aunt Pam, thank you so much for being on the show, and welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> A little surprised, <laughs> but happy to be here. Well, I think that, uh, you know, when I called you the first time and I said, hey, Aunt Pam, I want you to be on my podcast, what was your reaction right off the bat? Um, I, it, was, it was a little bit like a, a gut punch. <laughs> you know, I wasn't quite sure, um, whoa, you know, what is this about? But um, the more it, it settled, which didn't take long, I thought, well, certainly. Um, you know, I think this is something I have um, – you know, I have some wisdom to share and, uh, and, you know, you're such a wise young man. And I felt, you know, the, that the conversation would flow nicely. Well, I, I, I loved it because I wanted to be able to spend time with you. Number one is because you've been one of the biggest inspirations in my life, um, since, uh, I mean, for, for my whole entire life. And, um, you know, there's so many different stories, which we'll go through, but I think one of the ones that was a defining moment for me was in sixth grade. I talk about it all the time, uh, for the kids who are around me or the, my friends in sixth grade. Um, my aunt Pam came to visit and, um, you came to visit our one bedroom apartment. My parents had, uh, separated at the time and we were living in a one bedroom apartment. We had four people in it at the time. And, um, you came and you just always brought such a ray of light and joy. And it had nothing to do with the things that you got us. Um, and I want to preface that because I'm going into that story right now. It didn't have anything to do with that. It just had to do with the joy and light that you brought into the environment and you came and there was never a sense of judgment, which I thought was so amazing because you didn't live a lifestyle of a one bedroom apartment with four people at the time. You lived in a little bit different situation, but when you came, you almost adapted in that area and then you took a shopping. And I remember my brother and I went, my brother, Rob, and, uh, you said you can get whatever shoes you want to get. And I was like, yes, I'm in. And my brother was like, let's be conservative. And I want to give my brother a hard time because he got some uh, aerobic Reeboks at the time. Like he was like, you know what? We're just going to, you know, she said anything, but I'm going to get these Reeboks. These are nice. But they were them aerobic ones. You know what I'm talking about? Like with the Velcro straps on the top. And I went for Jordans, Air Jordans. And this was when they first came out. It was the Air Jordan 2s. And I remember, I mean, they were the first $100 shoes. And my ungrateful butt was like, I want these shoes. And you didn't even bat an eye. And you got the shoes for me. My brother smacked me in the head. He, you didn't see this happen. But he smacked me in the head. He's like, what are you doing? She don't take advantage of Aunt. And I said, she said, whatever. So I'm going, I'm going big. And what it did is not only, not only the fact that I got the pair of shoes, but it also expanded my brain to a different side that um, there was things that were possible that were outside of my scope at the particular time. And uh, it, it had such a huge impression on me because for so long, my perspective was based off of my own reality, what I could see. And when you came for that trip, what it helped me to realize is that there a whole different side of life. Um, so I would love to, to be able to talk to that because you seem to bless people like at every realm. Like you're constantly, you've always been a caregiver. You're always blessing people and you're always making sure that everyone else is taken care of. Where did that come from? Oh boy. Um, I guess I was born into it. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, thank you for retelling that story because it did really, it touches my heart every time I hear it because, um, I had no idea the impact that I was making. 
And I think, you know, in life so often that's what happens is, you know, we, we do something that, that feels pretty small at the time. And yet, um, you know, years later or, you know, however, however much time later, you discover that it made a difference in someone's life. So um, thank you for sharing that story again and making me cry again. <laughs> but anyway, I, you know, being, being, um, I grew up in a very small town in uh, Utah, Tooele, Utah. Um, your, your mother was my younger sister. Um, and there were ultimately six of us, six children. Um, the, the two younger boys were born much much later, um, it actually, um, the, the, the last one guy who spent a lot of time growing up with you as well, um, he was born when I was, I was already married and out of the house, but uh, I still took care of him. Um, but, uh, you know, being the oldest girl of six, I have one um, older brother. Um, it, it always, you know, my my role, my purpose in life was to take care of people. And um, fortunately, um, I, I learned um, through the years and through a lot of, you know, several hard knocks here and there that taking care of myself was equally, if not more important, because, um, you know, I've learned from um, over the years and, um, that that um, self care is um, the biggest gift we can give, not only to ourselves but to those um, who who need us or who love us. Um, because if my container is empty, I don't have anything to give. So um, I've learned to fill up my container um, pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think and a lot of that's through spiritual practice and prayer and. Um, and, you know, pretty much eating the right things, <laughs> that sort of thing, but yeah. Well, I think it's incredible too, because I, I've watched you over the time and, and people's perspective a lot of times of somebody is so much different than the reality that they live. And, you know, because I could say as a kid, when you would come to town, we would be like, oh man, auntie's coming, like auntie's coming, auntie. And we were always like, auntie is just rich. She just, you know, she just got all this stuff. She's just cool. Her life is perfect. Everything is going well. And then she's coming to our house. And not to say, I mean, I had a great upbringing. I was filled with love. You know, I mean, obviously my mom, I mean, she was just a ball of light and a ball of love. My dad, um, not a ball of love all the time. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, he had that disciplinarian, you know, side. Now he's a softy with my kids. But my perception was, here's Auntie, she's got every single thing that she needs, her life is perfect, everything's good, but as I started to get closer and closer to you, I realized that your life was not perfect, that you chose to have a great attitude about your current circumstances. So, um, because I think there's a lot of young ladies out there that think that, oh man, I've got to have the perfect life. Um, did you grow up in the perfect life? Oh, um, I don't, it depends, I guess, how you define perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I grew up, grew up in an era. I was born in 1950. And um, dur during the um, baby boomer era where, um, and, and also in Utah, where 
families tended to be large and, um, and close and neighborhoods were close, houses were close together. So I grew up with a whole um, house full of, of uh, people as well as a whole neighborhood and community of people. So in that way, I, you know, I think I, I think of it more as being, you know, really truly blessed um, versus perfect. And, you know, there were, you know, I, there, there were, um, there were moments, but, you know, we spend a lot of time outside playing, you know, during the day at night, we play hide and seek and things like that with the neighbor kids. And so that was always, that was a real blessing uh, to be able to grow up that way. Um, and then it had its challenges too. You know, my, my uh, parents, um, uh, you know, your grandparents were, um, my mother was a, uh, she was a stay-at-home mom until I was in the sixth grade. And then um, she went to work. No, I take that back. I was not in sixth grade. I was six years old. Mm. Uh, went to work at a bank as a bank teller. My dad was a truck driver and um, would be gone. He'd get up at 4.30 in the morning and usually home by 7.30 at night. So it was, um, you know, long days. But we always had dinner together uh, as a family and uh, usually some sort of um, socializing afterwards, even if it was sitting in front of the TV watching um, Ed Sullivan or, um, you know, some program like that. Uh, but, you know, and, and again, there were, you know, there were definitely some cha- challenges. Um, I tend to focus on the positive. Um, and I think that's, that served me really well over the years to be able to focus on the positive. And, and then, um, you know, I was, uh, I was a teenage um, bride and mother. Um, and so, you know, I'd taken care of my siblings as I was growing up. And then I um, became a mother at 17. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, uh, there were some challenges there. Um, so, you know, it's, it's been... It's been kind of a rock and roll life for me, um, and I, I've tried to to make the best of it, and you know, to um, you know, some additional, I guess, uh, challenges were when when my mother died, your your grandma Darlene, uh, when uh, when Guy, the baby, was just a year old in 1970, and so. Um, I had two children by then, and I took on the responsibility of caring for um, my younger sister, your mom, Jackie, who uh, at the time was 14, and uh, two younger brothers that were 12 and, uh, uh, I'm sorry, seven and and one. Mm. So, um, and of course, Jackie, she was amazing. She stepped up and and even at 14, she just kind of took over um, because our dad was in shambles. Mom died of a very sudden heart attack. So, you know, that was, um, it was devastating. And then when I, I think back on it, especially recently over the past probably 10 years or so, I reflect on um, that it, it really um, provided me with some 
a perspective on death and and what that what that means and who it affects and um, and how how it affects and you can you know with any kind of adversity I, we have a we have a choice whether we um, cave to it or um, or we allow it to to bless us and um, and that that caving I think is necessary you know the the grief and the the loss we have to absorb that we have to to recognize it and and go into it and then allow the um, the sunrise again um, and it's a process it's a you know like I said the rock and roll or a roller coaster kind of thing like life is so um, so anyway that was that was a real at at um, 20 years old I I dealt I tried to deal with it as best I could and uh, so you know as part of the caregiver in me where I I took on that role very naturally just it didn't feel like it was anything unusual or uh, out of place for me well, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of times I, I, I get a chance to be able to talk to people right around in, in your generation. And a lot of times um, when I ask them, how were you able to do it? They said that I, I didn't really think about it. Like, I mean, but I want to retrace your steps here. You just said that, and you said it very nonchalant. I was a mother at 17. By the time I was 20, I had two children. And then suddenly my mom passes away. Um, and I'm not only in charge of my children, but you also have three, which is uncle Dev, uncle guy, and then my mom, um, you know, so now you've got in a sense, five children, you're 20 years old. Um, how are you able to deal in that situation? Plus you're, you're 20 years old. You got two kids of your own. You got three kids that you're caring for. You got your dad that you're caring for and you're married. Um, most kids at 20 are like, Oh my gosh, I can't make it to work uh, a half an hour early. Um, how were you able to deal with that at 20 years old? Oh, gosh. What a question. Um, I, I'm really not sure. I think um, it, was, it was something I was made for. <laughs> I mean, I, I just believe I came into this life to, to do that. And, it, and I'm saying that now as, you know, almost 70 years old and, and you know, 50 years later, um, that, and I, I, I wouldn't have been able to say that probably even, I don't know, even 20 years ago. But um, a lot has happened over the past 20 years in my life, um, the past 30, <laughs> 35, 38, 40, whatever. Um, a lot of things have happened in my life that have kind of changed my perspective. Um, and, and I've done a lot more contemplation and, uh, kind of asked myself, maybe not that particular question, but it's like, um, what, what, uh, where, where, where did my resources come from? And all I can say is faith. I mean, it's, it's it's God. It's the universe. It's God. It's, it's, um, there is that that great spirit out there and within that um, 
that guides us and and that that is um that that's my only my only answer is i didn't i definitely didn't do it on my own <laughs> i had i had lots of help so i was i was thinking about it today before i got a chance to be able to talk to you and it's it's almost as if you've experienced every single thing that a person could say like oh my gosh and I, now when i say hear the whole thing before you respond to it and pam because when i say something's wrong in life you're going to be like well it's the way you look at it because that's what your personality is and that's what your heart is but if i was to list out and i was listing this out mentally in my in my uh, you know before we got a chance to talk of all the things that you've dealt with and pretty much there's not one thing that a person could be like, Oh, I've dealt with X. And so my life is in shambles. Like I listed all those things and you were in all those categories, like every single one of them. And some of them, as we work on in our conversation, you've dealt with multiple times. Um, and so when you're looking, when you're looking at those things, how have you been able to stay so amazingly positive and accept like you accept people for right where they are. And I think that's one of the one things I haven't said to you that I admire so much about you is you've been such a, a, a like a matriarch of our family in the fact that there's never a time where a person comes to you with a certain situation and you have any judgment on it. I've never seen it. I don't know. Maybe you are when, when I'm not around, how are you able to stay in that, that, uh, that mentality? Oh, um, sometimes, um, it's not that I don't have those thoughts. Um, so you, I, you, so know, you are human, Aunt Pam, you're human. I am, I'm definitely human. <laughs> I have those thoughts of, of you know, um, of, of judging, uh, people for their actions, for their words. Um, and, um, when I have those thoughts, um, I'm much, I guess I, I stop myself, <laughs> you know, I, I have, I, I have this, I guess this, this gift that I've, um, nurtured over the years uh, as far as you know having this ability to 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 stop my thoughts in the you know just kind of stop them in their tracks and say um okay is this for the greater good um what is it exactly that's going on to cause you to have these thoughts or these judgments and you know and usually I can look, I can pinpoint it to um, something that's just really kind of a miss in my own life and, and not so much in the other, you know, not so much what that other person is doing. And it's really, there's a, there's a little book and a lot of people, um, I mean, it's been around for a long time. It was written by Don Miguel Ruiz and it's The Four Agreements. And, and that has been um, just a, a wonderful teacher for me. If I can remember to be impeccable with my words, if I can remember to, um, to not make assumptions. Um, and, you know, with assumption, if you look at the word, it, 
it makes an ass out of you and me <laughs> assume uh, when we assume things. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to draw a blank on the, the other ones, you know, um, um, always do your best. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and that's, that doesn't mean, you know, always do things perfectly, but, you know, so if I can keep those principles in mind, um, I can, um, I, you know, I can make it through a lot of adversity and also I can step out of that judgment and I can love someone right where they are, even if on the surface they don't seem lovable. So, um yeah, that's then I um I, I feel I feel compelled at this moment to mention my um cancer experience. And when I was um when I was diagnosed with with breast cancer in nineteen ninety-six, uh your mom and dad were living in Memphis. Uh we were in Collierville, just just right outside of the city, and um she was my angel. I mean, she helped me through that, the diagnosis, the surgery, the treatments, and um, we walked that path together, which was a real, real blessing to have her talk about, um, you know, an angel on earth. She definitely was. Um, And then my um, uh, recurrence in 2000, um, was uh, a real shock. Um, at that point, we had moved to East Tennessee, which is in Knoxville, where we live now. And uh, uh, so your mom wasn't right there, but she, when I went through my surgery, she was right there. She got on an airplane and flew from, I think they were living in California at the time, maybe Nevada, but um, yeah, she was there. She was there and she sat by my bedside. It's the main thing she did. She just sat next to me and held my hand. <laughs> and, um, and that was, uh, it was, it was, a um, that was a real growth experience, I think for, for the entire family. Mm-hmm. It was also a catalyst for me to really, um, ramp up my, um, my spiritual journey. Um, and so I, uh, I was able to recover from that. It was inflammatory breast cancer, which is very rare and uh, and aggressive. But I kicked its butt, and uh, yeah, and it was uh, uh, it was one of those things where I knew that I needed help beyond what I had before. Um, my family was very loving and helpful, but they didn't they couldn't understand it. Like, and I was really blessed with um, an organization here. It was called the wellness community, but now it's the cancer support community. Mm-hmm. Um, they renamed a while back when they, they merged with Gilda's clubs. And um, so once I connected with the cancer support community, started in a support group, started to participate in their programs and one of them was a yoga class. And it became very clear to me shortly after that, that I wanted to be a yoga teacher and I wanted to teach there. 
well, they already had a yoga teacher. And so that was good. You know, I was, I was all right. I was patient. So, uh, so I, I did, I went through 500 hours of, of, um, of teacher training. And then I did uh, special training in another program for um, specific um, cancer care yoga. And uh, so, and as, you know, as I guess as fate would have it, the, the teacher that was at the cancer support community shortly after that decided she was leaving and I was hired on and, um, and I taught there for 14 years up until just this past fall when I was um, once again, well, it, it, had, it had been a while since I had been diagnosed a third time with um, what they call metastatic or um, advanced breast cancer. And so I, uh, after several treatments and, and protocols, I decided that it was time for me to, uh, to go ahead and, um, and quit teaching. Actually, I called it a sabbatical. I'm going on leave. <laughs> so I've been on leave since last fall, uh, but still stay very connected. And I'm actually in the support group again at the cancer support community. And, and I, um, uh, so, uh, I, I always encourage <clears throat> anybody that's going through adversity and, and, and mine at this particular time in the midst of a, a pandemic, I have, um, I'm dealing with, uh, with cancer. And so finding those, um, uh, the support that you need is, is really, really important. And, and I'm so glad that I did. And by plugging in there, I was able to plug into another program that was um, that en- really enhanced my um, my healing. And so, um, yeah, I'm 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 rocking life now as best I can. And <laughs> not quite as strong or mobile as I as I once was, but um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm living the best life I can. Well, if you, for those of you listening, guys, if you, again, my, my aunt, I believe is the strongest woman I've ever met in my entire life. And that's why I wanted to share her with you. And she said that she was married at 17 years old. By the time she was 20, she had two children. Her mom passes away. She takes on her three siblings. She gets married. Um, or she, she still, she stays married. Uh, that marriage comes to an end. Um, you end up getting married again in 2000, you get, uh, or before 2000, you get, you get diagnosed. Di- uh, 2000 was the first year that you got diagnosed. Am I correct? 96. 96. So 96, she gets diagnosed with cancer, with breast cancer. Then in 2000 again, and then just recently, uh, gets diagnosed again and your attitude still stays the same. I'm kicking cancers, but like, and your, your, um, you're vulnerable enough to know that, uh, leaning into other people are, are, is a big thing. Help us with some blind spots, um, that people that maybe either haven't experienced cancer or don't have family members with cancer. Can you help us with some blind spots, um, on things that, um, you know, maybe you go through, but the normal person when they hear it, uh, that they don't understand. Oh yeah. Well, there's, there's, uh, I, I don't have a huge expectation that people are going to totally understand, um, if they haven't been through it. 
but I also have a, you know, a, a, a pure empathy for those who, um, you know, have a loved one with cancer or if they've a, a, a good friend or a family member, um, um, even those who have cancer themselves that maybe don't know quite how to, to deal with it. But, um, you know, I, I often um, uh, give, give them the benefit of the doubt if they don't know exactly what to say, because a lot of people um, don't, they don't know what to say. What I've discovered is that, um, that those really true friends um, will just hang with me and they'll just, you know, they, rather than trying to give me advice, it's like, oh, well, you know, my, my, you know, when they find out or you tell them about your, your health situation, automatically jump into, well, my aunt had that and this is what she did. And, oh, but then she died three years later and it's like, um, okay, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that's not really helpful. So I think, um, having a a listener, Uh Um, having someone who is just going to listen and even if it's just a nodding (laughs) and um, I, you know, I've been, I've been really blessed with a a great family and community. And one thing I didn't mention is my, my, uh, my current husband, Bill, we've been married 37 and a half years now. And, um, and we have a son together. So I have two daughters from my first marriage and a son uh, from my second with my husband. And he is, um, well, Kelly can tell you, but he, he calls him Uncle Build because he, he loves to build things. He's a chemical engineer. Um, and, it, you know, so he has that analytical mind, but he also has a, just a creativity and a, and a pure kindness about him. And, and I've really discovered that. In the, with this experience, because never once, well, he's a fixer, he's a solution maker, and but never once during this, especially this this um, current rodeo that we're in uh, with with cancer, he um, he doesn't try to fix things. Um, for the most part, <laughs> not as not as much as he would. It's like he respects if, if I if I say this is what I've decided, but I don't want to, you know. What do you think? I always, you know, honor his thoughts and feelings, but ultimately we we both know that that it's my decision, and he respects that. And you know that. Uh, I didn't mean to get off on a tangent on that, but that's yeah. It was um, I, I definitely need to to shout out for my husband Bill because he is amazing. Well, he's he's incredible. The first time, I mean, he is the most he's the most genius guy I've ever met in my life. Like there are times where I mean, I barely passed fourth grade, um, so there are times where we'll get talking and I'll be like, Uncle Bill, I have no idea the words that you just said, but I nod with him because he is an absolute genius. He's got the genius that he can actually he could break it down to a simple matter though too and connect it. 
but he was always so stoic and always building everything. Like literally, I think he's on this earth. He'll build the second ark for, for the Lord is what he'll do. Uh, Cause he already knows how to do it. But I remember the day when, uh, when, you know, you came to the house and, and there was a diagnosis and you guys were there, you guys showed up to the house and it was the first time that I saw an emotional uncle build and, you know, it was the, he broke down and, you know, it, it showed that side and I've, I've watched him care for you. And not to say, I mean, you're a strong woman. That's why the June is powerful women month. That's what it's all about. And that's why I wanted to have you on here. But I could tell you this, watching him, he really showed me and inspired me as a husband and as a man, um, how to be able to care for, uh, the woman that you love. And not just from, a. A lot of people think like, I'll go out and, you know, I'm going to go out and work hard. And then that's why I do all this stuff. But he's not only working hard, but he was making sure that you were okay. And to see that, it really affected me in 96. I mean, in 96, I was 20 years old, 21 years old when this happened. Um, so speak to us too about um, blind spots that people have, whether it be about radiation or chemotherapy, because this is not something that if you haven't gone through it, you don't know what it is. Um, what are the, the physical aspects and then the emotional impacts, especially from a woman? Because I work in the hair industry and I know that one of the only outfits that you wear every single day is your hair. And I've watched you like have fun with this thing. Although, I mean, how did it impact you emotionally? How did it impact you physically as far as the radiation and the chemotherapy? Okay. Um, well, um, I'm, I'm my own best advocate. I think I've learned that over the years to, to, um, to be able to accept something as a treatment plan and reject it if it doesn't feel or if it doesn't seem right. But I, and I, and I do that from an educated, um, you know, I, I do my research before I ever jump into anything. Okay. And I can't say that in, in 96 and even in 2000, I didn't do that. Okay. Not, not until after a while. I mean, in 2000, once I started to really step into my own power, then I did. And I've, and I know that now. And so all of the treatments, the, um, so far the, the treatments that I've had have been pill form, um, oral chemotherapy, except that um, last fall in, um, well, actually in, in August, September, I did a, an infusions where it's, it's intravenous and, and I got very sick from that. So um, I, I knew that, uh, you know, I mean, I, I actually ended up in the hospital for nine days. Mm. They treated me for pneumonia and then realized that it was, uh, it was similar. It's called pneumonitis, but it's a, it's very, fairly common when you have um, chemotherapy and, and it needed to be treated with steroids. So, and that was a, that was a big experience because on steroids, I was like, the Tasmanian devil. <laughs> it's hard to explain. In fact, it was really hard for, for my family to even realize it was me because I was like, well, you know, everything was on steroids. Everything was, was hyper. And um, fortunately, when I, when I came off of those high dose steroids, I became my, my normal 
um, mostly calm um, self. But yeah, I was uh, I was being so totally honest. And what I needed to do was to learn to be honest and kind at the same time. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, those were those were kind of surprises. Okay. And I, so I went off chemo for about six months, uh, five months, and then I found a new oncologist, um, and he started me on a new chemotherapy just about three months ago. So I am, um, uh, yeah. So I'm. I'm kind of rocking that. We found out I have a mutation, a gene mutation, which I had no idea that was even um, something on the radar screen. Mm -hmm. I've had um, plenty of radiation. I've had, um, in 96, I had radiation to my um, right side of my chest and breast area. Um, but this time around, I've had it. I've had full brain radiation. I've had my cervical spine, which is the neck and a little bit of the thoracic, and then my lumbar spine, which is in the low back. So, um, and I'm, I'm still recovering from that. Um, you know, a lot of fatigue, uh, but all, all those things I, well, not everything, but a lot of things I kind of expected because not only did I have, you know, medical professionals that were telling me about it, but also, um, I had um, informed myself, and if I don't, if I don't find the information, Bill does. He'll, he'll bring it to me. So, um, yeah. so what is the what about the emotional side? Because I mean, uh, like every woman that I've dealt with, as far and I've dealt with quite a few in my industry for the last twenty eight years, I've been working with predominantly women. When these things come out, um, their first thought emotionally. And I, they always tell me, they're like, I'm, I don't mean to be vain. Um, I'm scared of losing my hair. Uh, yeah. how was that emotionally for you when, when those things came on or were, did you just hit it in true aunt Pam fashion and like, Hey, we're going to rock and roll with this thing. Or, uh, was there a, you know, was there a time and was there some emotion there? Yeah. Well, back in 2000, when I was on chemotherapy, I lost my hair. I okay. mean, it all fell out, yeah. but before it fell out, I went to, um, I decided that I was, I, I went to a wig shop okay. and I got, I got a wig, um, you know, styled and all that. And I, um, because I knew after the second treatment, I mean, it's just classic for the chemo that your hair is going to fall out. And so I, um, I had my husband and my son-in-law shave my head. Um, before it started to fall out because I knew that when it did, it would be all over the pillowcase and all over the shower. And, and I have very thin, fine hair. It's not like I have a ton of hair, but uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to deal with that. And so um, this time around, uh, and I actually rocked the bald head. It was okay. I wore, I wore the wig maybe twice or three times. And other than that, I wore hats and scarves and, um, most of the time it was just my, my baldness. And then um, this time around the chemotherapy knocked it out and then it started to come back as what I, well, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to do a reveal here, but it, it was a little longer than it is now. It was what I called the baby bird uh -huh. look. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and then the radiation knocked it out again. And so I told him, I, you know, after about, 
two months, I'm like, my hair's not growing back. And they said, well, it might not. Mm-hmm. And my, my attitude at that point, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think if I had a beautiful, thick head of hair, always that it would, you know, I'd have some ego in there, but I never have. And I've always struggled with my hair. And so my, my uh, attitude became, you know, I came into this life bald. And if I go out of this life bald, that's okay. So, um, and, but then I have to say, I'm very happy to have a little bit of, uh, of uh, it's not quite the baby bird yet, but it's close. Well, you, you got blessed with a, a good dome too. Um, because honestly I got a really lumpy head. So <laughs> your head is perfect. It looks great. You look amazing. What's nuts about it too. And Pam is this is the first time that I've seen the painting behind you. And I don't know wow. if you can, I don't know if you can see this, but that painting behind you, like it's, I mean, that's a male version of you. Like, and when wow. I looked, when I looked at it at first, when you took your hat off, I realized it, but Tell us about that man. Tell us about what that man meant to you. And uh, some of the- yeah, I can I can bring it a little bit closer. Comes right off the wall here. Um, this is my daddy. His name uh, was uh, Jack Udell Gibson, and uh, let's see if I can get that. Yeah, he. Um, he was born on September 8th, 1924, and he died on October 19th, um, 2018. So he's been, he's been gone now about two years. And, uh, um, they, um, of course, a, a big influence, but I, I started painting this, um, picture when he was still alive, he was 93 years old, and I had just been to visit him. Um, my youngest brother, Guy, and I made a trip to Lake Havasu City, Arizona, to, to visit with him and his wife. And uh, we spent the better part of two days um, just being with him. And then the memories that we made, and, and uh, I... I started painting that uh, picture shortly after his portrait. It was it was a picture that um, uh, a photo that I took on my phone when we were sitting at the I think it's called the Black Bear Cafe, and they were eating you know eating breakfast and and I snapped that picture and uh, decided that that it needed to be um, reproduced in some way. And for me, it was therapy. It was definitely therapy dealing with because I knew after that visit that that my daddy didn't have much time and um and he died just um a little less than a year later um, at uh, at 94 so yeah that was um yeah and uh, for me um creating art painting I've I've always um I've always leaned toward drawing and painting people <laughs> and and faces and you know it, they they've always intrigued me faces and the eyes to me are the most important mm-hmm. the the uh, windows to the soul yes and my my daddy had that sparkle in his eyes and he had a he had a sometimes a very crude sense of humor 
but um, and this laugh that you just couldn't, it was contagious. So um, yeah, I, I treasure, I, I treasure those memories that, that, and especially that, that last time that I got to spend with him. It was quite, quite precious. Well, I, I still think to this day, I mean, when people ask me about it, because uh, that was October, uh, you know, my mom, your sister uh, passed in June of that year. I believe that um, grandpa was tired. Um, I believe that it was time to be able to spend some time with his girl. And, uh, and I, I, you know, people asked me if I was sad during the time and I was definitely sad because it's my grandfather and he was so, such a huge, but when people asked me about it or they said, I'm sorry, I said, you know, I think that him and my mom are having a party and they're getting to spend some time together, which I think is amazing. So I think she helped him along the way. I really do. I think she was, yeah, she helped him along the way. Absolutely. The, now the relationship with, uh, with you and her was really special to me too. And, um, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my mom, uh, you know, always told me that her relationship with you was very unique in the fact that she could have a conversation with you about something and you wouldn't hold her to that conversation. She, you would just listen and she would do the same in your, uh, in your side, as far as like, if she had a challenge or say she had a challenge with a friend and she talked to you about it and then she became friends with that person again, y- there was no judgment from you. You were just like, Oh, I'm here to listen. I'm here to be here for you. And that taught me a lot about life because there's a lot of times where, um, you know, I, I see in relationships, a person like, especially maybe in a relationship, a person will go and they'll have a challenge in the relationship. Then they'll go to this friend over here and they'll be like, oh, I don't, you know, I'm having these challenges. And this friend almost gets a chip on their shoulder about this person. And then these, <laughs> then these two get back together. And when they get back together, this person is like, I can't believe you're getting back together. And that's a huge challenge in people's lives. And what my mom taught me through you guys' relationship was being able to have that conversation. It'd be a safe place and speak to that part. How important was that in you guys' relationship? Well, I think it was huge. It was a, it was a, a matter of trust, you know, and just trusting each other. And um, and I can't, um, you know, I I can't admit to not having, you know, oh my gosh, here we go again, kind of thing, you know, th- thinking that sort of thing. But um, uh, I I don't believe that I shared some of those. Um, I don't know trepidations with with your mom and if I did they were um you know apparently from what you said they were they were at least um done with with compassion I mean it um and I and I I really it's important to me to to um to you know approach my relationships and mine especially with her, with compassion, to be able to, um, I don't know, to be able to, to speak from my heart, receive from my heart, and, and, um, and not from my ego or my crazy mind. So, <laughs> yeah, and we, we really did have a special relationship. It was, it was very um, blessed, and yeah, I... I I miss her a lot, and yet I know that there's an element of me that's at peace because I know she is at peace. 
So you talked a uh, you talked a little bit earlier about uh, you know becoming okay, not becoming okay, but that that you you came to terms with death. Uh, that you 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 did that, and then you started to speak about this power. You kind of glazed over it quickly. I want to dive into that part of it, and because there's this new Aunt Pam that I know, right? So I knew this Aunt Pam that when she used to come to town, she used to be like, yeah, you know, and she used to bring all this light, and then she brought the Jordans, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. And then there, uh, there's that that point in time where you know 1996 happens. Um, we're around, you know, you're going through these challenges, but you still got a positive light. And then this last time I got to hang with you, there was this, I mean. I mean, there's this new Aunt Pam dropping F-bombs. Um, she was and very unapologetic. You had your power. And when I told you about the F-bombs, you were like, no, no, I don't say them all the time. And I was like, no, Aunt Pam, I'm down with it. You flipped me off in, a, uh, in one of the, um, the pictures that we took. You threw up your middle finger. And I loved this. That it was a different type of power. So speak to where this power came from and you have such a freedom about you that you're just like, and it's not the insensitive, right? Because there's some people that are like, I don't care what people think and I'm just going to slam you or whatever it is. You still do it with compassion, but it is gangster. Like when I, when, when we talked the last time and I was there in Knoxville, it was so much fun because you were like, this is how it is. And you dropped it and you had this crazy power. Where did it come from and how does it feel to have it now? Oh boy. Um, freedom, you know, I mean, all I can say is, uh, and you know, I've always had that. I've always had that side to me. Anybody who knows me really well has, has witnessed that, um, that, you know, if, if I, um, if I really, and it's not letting my guard down, but it's just more letting myself out, you know, giving myself permission to, to just spill it out there. And, um, uh, you know, and there's, there are appropriate times, I guess, and not so appropriate times to, to reveal that. But I mean, I've even, even in yoga classes from time to time, it's like if it, if it felt appropriate, if it felt like, yeah, you know, let's just kind of throw something out there that's just going to kind of shake people out of their complacency um, or, or just kind of give them a, a, a little jolt of, of laughter. Um, I, I, um, I'm more than happy to do that. And um, I'm definitely not a comedian, that's for sure. In fact, I, I can't remember the punchline of any joke. If you tell me a joke, it's like it's just going to fall flat. But um, if I can say something that people um, find funny or enlightening or uplifting, then um, I usually don't hesitate to, to let it out. So I don't where, know. Where did you start to find that? Well, I mean, now, obviously that was there, but it seems to have come to the surface. There seemed to be some things that you kind of come to terms with. Where does this power come from as far as like you said on the second time, um, you know, you really started to find a spiritual side. You really started to look into that self-care and almost our whole conversation this last time when I was there in Knoxville was about self-care and the fact, and I had never heard you speak on that subject. I had never heard you speak on that. I had always heard you just, I mean, you were, you were always just serving other people, things like that. But it made so much sense to me because there's no way that you can serve unless you're filled up. Right. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. Where, where did that journey, where did that journey start and how can someone go about like a person listening? I mean, 
now for you, and when I say this, you know, a listener could be like, well, not that it's easy for her, but going through all the things that you went through, right? Everything. I mean, you got to do some soul searching. What about that kid out there that's like, maybe I haven't hit all this adversity. How can I start to look and start to gain that power, especially at a young age or maybe, a, you know, middle in my career or whatever it is, because I think that power is so important. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, I do agree. I do agree. And, you know, I think we all come at it from our own um, angle or uh, from where our lives are at a particular time. And, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm nearly 70 years old. So I've been on this journey for um, quite some time. Um, but it really, I mean, it was, it, it was on the fast track in um, come 2000. And I think that was when I really came to terms with the, um, uh, our mortality, you know, that, um, that I don't have forever on this earth. I don't have forever in this body. Um, and, um, I mean, I knew that I knew that when my mother died at 42 and, um, I, I knew that from, um, you know, losing friends and relatives, um, but it really came full force to me in 2000 of the um, vulnerability, the preciousness of life, and the in- inevitability of death. So um, that was when I really started to delve into um, not religious practices, but more spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And that was where... I mean, yoga was the the catalyst for that. And I know a lot of people start out with a physical practice, which is what I did. And I soon realized that, wow, this is a lot more than the body. This is cliche, but body, mind, soul. Mm -hmm. It really is. And it touches all those aspects. And and so I I really got um, very, very deep into the spiritual work. And that, you know, and again, that can be um, individual for people, depending on what works for them. Um, Meditation for me was a big thing, and it still is. I still meditate every day. And sometimes my meditation is prayer. And sometimes my meditation is repeating a mantra. And sometimes it's just sitting and watching my mind flip from one thing to another. So um, I used to have a very disciplined meditation practice, a very disciplined yoga, um, uh, physical and breath work and all that. And now it's, um, I've, 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 I feel that I've earned the, <laughs> my own, my, my self-respect and self-compassion to be able to know exactly what I need from one day to the next. So, so it varies, but I do, um, I do have a yoga practice that I do every morning in bed before I get out of bed in the morning. Wow. And that works for me. You know, it used to be that I would get up and I'd get ready and I'd put down my mat and I'd do my practice on the floor. Well, now, you know, my body is a little achier and, and a lot skinnier right now than I'm used to being. And so that nice soft mattress is really good for me to, to do that. And then I do a, a short meditation afterwards. And then sometimes I do a longer one or I'll read uh, a, a spiritual 
um, passage. Um, so anyway, it, it, it helps me to have, um, in the beginning when I started doing it, it helped me to have a, a real laid out ritual where everything was pretty disciplined. And then after a while, I've found that it's, um, I can let it flow. I can just, um, I can do what, what feels right. And there comes a point at which we, we come to that, um, if, if we allow it and it takes some, it takes some dedication, it takes some work, if if you want to call it that, um, to, to get to that place, but it's worth it. It's really, it's definitely, it's definitely been worth it for me. Well, I've got, uh, I've got two things, uh, uh, two, two questions here. Number one is we're going to, I would like you to speak to, which I think that when you are it, you can speak to it. Yeah. Um, you know, when you've gone through it, say if you've gone through divorce, you could talk to people about divorce. Um, people have, I had a woman, uh, give me a hard time the other day cause I spoke on depression and anxiety and she was like, how dare you talk about those things? And I was like, I deal with both of them. So she got mad though, because I said that anxiety was nothing more than hyper-focus, the ability to hyper-focus. Right. And then depression was nothing more than the ability to be able to rest. And sometimes when I would get depressed, especially after my mom passed, I couldn't get out of bed. It was so dark. Everything was so dark. And what I learned was, is that God was telling me it's time to rest. Like I'm, I, you can't get out of bed cause you don't need to get out of bed right now. And when I would have anxiety, I would like hyper-focus on one thing. Sometimes it would be negative, but I realized that that was a gift that God had given me where to be able to hyper-focus on the right thing, um, can help tremendously. Does that make sense? And yes. so, so when I speak on these things, I'm not trivializing any of the stuff. It's just when I go through something, I feel that I can talk about that thing because I've gone through it myself. I would love for you to speak to a couple of people. Number one, um, teenage moms. Okay. You were 17 years old when you had your first child, right? So teenage moms, um, you know, uh, people who have gone through divorce, people who have lost a parent and then people who have lost a parent at a very, very early age. Um, also, uh, women or men who have dealt with cancer, uh, getting diagnosed, getting diagnosed for a second time, and then getting diagnosed for a third time. Now, most people aren't going to be in the, the last one. There's very few people that are going to be in the last one. They're still kicking butt like you're kicking butt, Aunt Pam. What would your advice be? to those people when you're speaking? Like, so let's go first. Uh, what would be your advice to a, a young uh, girl who is 16, 17 years old and has a child? Okay. Well, um, it's a huge commitment. It's, uh, it's not something that um, uh, you go into thinking that it's going to be easy. Um, uh, I... I guess the, the, the one thing that I encourage you to do is if you don't have a good support system around you at the time, find one. There are, there are organizations, there are groups out there, um, there are young mom groups, there are um, play date um, groups. Um, find, find yourself a, a, a tribe. I call it, um, and you know, people who, who are close to you and can support you. 
What would you say to a woman who's gone through, uh, going through or gone through a divorce? Um, I would say once the decision is made um, to divorce, um, you know, you know, you've done everything possible to, um, to, uh, you know, keep the marriage alive or, you know, and it, and it's usually, it's very easy to find fault. It's like, well, it's his fault. It's her fault. It's my fault. Um, um, I think once you've, you've made the decision um, that there, there really is, um, I, at least for me, there was a time when I doubted, you know, like, am I really on the right track here? And then all, all I had to do was just retrace back through the events that had happened. And there was my answer that I, I needed. I really needed to separate myself from this marriage, from this person. And it was not easy. It's hard. It's really hard. It's heartbreaking. Um, and especially when you have children. Um, and in my case, it was necessary I knew in my heart of hearts that it was necessary for both of us, actually for the entire family. And that was reassuring to me that, okay, you know, if, if um, I always um, think of things and I didn't know that that's what I was thinking at the time really, but um, is it for the greater good? And, and ultimately uh, it was, it was for the greater good. Absolutely. How about, uh, how about uh, losing a, losing a parent? I mean, because, I, I, I never talked to anybody about this. I, I just lost a parent, uh, you know, two years, less than two years ago. Um, what would you say to that either young person or anybody that is, you know, what advice would you give to them? Um, you know, as far as losing a parent, um, nothing prepares you for it. And, um, I think in some respects it's, it's harder when you're young and lose a parent. And of course, that's my perspective of losing my mother at uh, when I was 20 and my father when I was 68. And, um, you know, just questioning and, and, you know, wondering, you know, why did this why did this have to happen? Is there anything that I could have done? I dealt with a lot of guilt when my mother died, uh, a lot of guilt and some shame even for maybe some of the, um, some of the things that I'd said, some of the things that I had done that I knew broke her heart. And um, those are hard things to reconcile. Um, I, I didn't properly grieve. And that's one of the things that I really encourage people is that, and again, there, and, you know, I'm a real advocate for support groups um, or individual counseling. If you feel like you need it, uh, you may have, you may be blessed with a, with a best friend or, a, or, a, um, you know, a family member that you can just really um, talk with. Um, but to find to find a way to, to grieve the death. Um, and there are different phases of grieving and there are about five stages or whatever, but they don't come in order and there's no time limit to them. 
So, um, you know, I, I think it's really important to really delve into all of the emotions that come up that, that are surrounding grief. There's, there's anger, there's, um, uh, I'm going to blink on the rest of them, but anyway, there's, you know, I don't know why anger came out of this. Like, <laughs> there we go. Okay. Fam. That's that fire. That's that spice. That comes yeah. Out. So yeah. what, what, what would you, what would your, uh, what would your advice be to, and we can, I mean, obviously I, I group these ones together, not to trivialize anything, but I group it because most people, most people, when they get diagnosed the first time, they, they don't get diagnosed again. Like, you know, either go into remission or uh, something else. And, and you got diagnosed not once, not twice, but three times. Um, yeah. what would you say to that person that is embarking on it that's getting diagnosed like right now what would your advice be to that person being that you've gone through as many as you have yeah yeah well i guess you know with the with the first diagnosis and and i'm i find this to be universal uh, everyone that i've ever spoken to said that they were just in in a complete state of shock okay. even if they had warnings uh even if you know they they kind of suspected there is a complete lack or, or um, yeah, um, sense of shock because it's something you don't want to believe. You move into denial. Um, and and it, just know that that's normal. That's, that's a normal thing that happens to all of us. Our, our minds, I mean, shock has a purpose and it's to to kind of numb us out until we're ready to really deal with the pain or with the, uh, you know, and so um, I encourage people to, to not make, unless it really feels right and you're really in touch with your feelings and, and your sense of what is absolutely right for you. There's usually no big rush in deciding what to do as far as treatment, you know, take your time find the right doctor, find the right medical team, um, explore different um, treatment plans and protocols. One thing I encourage you to not do is to listen to anybody that tells you that there's no hope for you, that you have six months to live, um, I definitely would want to be invited to, um, you know, have, have them request um, for me to share with them maybe some advice or whatever. And, you know, the main thing that um, that I have experienced in my own um, walk, my own journey through cancer is that um, oftentimes the medical community wants to rush you. Um, it's like, okay, you have a diagnosis. This is what um, we need to do. And, you know, this, 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 and, and you're, you're just totally blown away. So um, I, I, I really advise you to slow things down. Um, usually there's not that much of an urgency. But the cancer has been there for a while, and it's probably not going to get any worse if you take two, three weeks even, or a month to decide um, if this is the right, for one thing, the right um, team or medical doctor, um, oncologist is what they call cancer doctors. Um, 
uh, and perhaps you want a second opinion. Um, and you always, you have every right to do that. And most doctors um, will give you that. They'll, they'll give you a referral to someone that they, um, that they respect. And, you know, that doesn't mean that you're committed to any one person or one team, but it does give you a different perspective and um, uh, oftentimes really leads you in the right direction. So, um, and one thing that um, I, I, I've been troubled with is when what I call um, um, doctors or medical professionals uh, stealing your hope and by giving you a, a prognosis that says, well, you know, there's, we're going to try this, but if it doesn't work, there's nothing more we can do. You have six months to live. Um, you know, because I, I look at that as, um, and, and many friends, many, um, comrades in this that, that, um, I've talked with and listened to will also say, you know, that that's robbing people of their hope and they're not God and they don't really know how, how much time or what your resilience is or, um, but I mean, they have a good idea. They've got statistics, and some people really like to listen to those or really look at statistics. And I happen to be one that I become kind of overwhelmed by them, and I just soon um, not know um, that much. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and you know, just mainly take care of yourself, um, surround yourself with people who are going to support you. Um, if you don't have a uh, family, um, find a support group, um, find, um, and their support groups are all over the place. Even if it's an online um, support group, there's, there are a lot of them. I happen to be um, fortunate enough to have a cancer support community here. Um, and there are other support groups through uh, hospitals, through oncology um, offices, medical centers. Um, through the American Cancer Society, you can usually find um, some type of some type of support, and uh, you know whether it's through friends or and I find it most beneficial if you can you can share and and be supported by people who are also dealing with a cancer diagnosis and treatment, and you know you can um, there there's less there's less fear actually um, to, to share with people that are on that same um, road or it's kind of a swimming in the same lake with you and um, something that I uh, that I heard not long ago is that even though we're not in the, the same boat um, it's the same wind pushing us along so um, I, I like to think of it as that way because you know, we we are going through similar situations, each one unique, but you know, we're we're on the you know, on the this journey um that involves cancer and it's one of those um uh, journeys that people who are also on you know, who are also on that, that road or in that Lake swimming with us can um, can relate to better than anybody else. So you you uh, you know 
I, I said this earlier that probably one of my favorite things, which there's a million of them about you for me, is the fact that you seem to turn lemons into lemonade no matter what you're I mean when you're talking about uh, when you're talking about your cancer um, you know you're talking about a support group when you're talking about um, being able to overcome then you're saying that you know you need to uh, make sure that uh, that you have a uh, a positive uh, outlook on it um, when you're talking about you know, all these different aspects of life you've talked about earlier where you were blessed, like you were blessed to, you know, have the parents that you did, even though your mom passed away when you were only 20 years old and she was only 42. Um, right. So as we, as we finish today, what is that, what's that message? And that I'm going to be selfish. I'm, I've been selfish for the last uh, couple episodes and I've said, you know, I want people to talk to you know, to our listeners, I'm going to be selfish again with you. And I'm going to say the whole reason why I started this podcast in the first place, uh, and Pam was to, uh, help Maddox and McKenna realize that people, iconic people like yourself, um, are simply human beings who have a great attitude, who follow their passion and who work really, really hard because I wanted them, I, I wanted to humanize iconic people to them because I don't want them to idolize anyone. I only want them to have, I don't want them to have any idols before, before God. Um, so what would be that message or that legacy, that Aunt Pam legacy that you would want to speak to Maddox and McKenna to give them some advice from, I mean, you've lived this life, you know, you've been through quite a few things what would be that message to an eight-year-old uh, Maddox and an eleven-year-old McKenna? Hmm. Okay. Um, that's quite a. Um, I'm I'm feeling uh, quite a responsibility, which I do oftentimes. Um, I remember uh, one of my um, teachers during my yoga teacher training. He um, he said that. You know, when you, um, as as a teacher, uh, you have a, a huge responsibility um, to your students. He said, your students are like children, and they're going to follow your example. They're going to do what you do or do what you say. So, um, you know, take that as um, as a a huge responsibility. I call it now. I I I call it more of a more of a duty, more of a um, you know, just opening opening up my heart and being able to speak from that from that place um, to um, and, you know, and and I so I guess the um, you know if I were to. Um, I guess share anything. It would be uh, that we're we're all human. That we we share this we share this earth. Um, we share um, uh, oftentimes, you know, we sh- we share homes, we share communities, and I think it's important. Um, I know it's 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 of utmost importance for us to have mutual respect, um, and we really can't have that unless we have self-respect. 
So um, one of the big things that's coming up for me lately is um, self-compassion. And, you know, we can often have compassion for other people. Um, and, and that's good. That's a good thing to be able to, to um, you know, kind of put yourself in someone else's place in a way or, or to, um, you know, when, when, a, when a friend or a family member is hurting, and you hurt too, you know, or when they're happy and laughing, you laugh too. Um, but um, self-compassion is uh, it's a little more difficult for us. You know, I think we can be very self-critical and um, uh, it's a little, it, it's a bit harder for us to, um, to have that same compassion that we have for our friends and our loved ones um, for ourselves. So um, I, I guess, you know, I encourage everyone and, you know, children in particular to um, be compassionate. We all make mistakes. We all, um, we all have emotions that we're not necessarily proud of or we'll do things that we're not necessarily proud of. But there, there, is, um, there is forgiveness. Um, you know, we can own up to our mistakes and say, you know, this is, this is what I did and I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Um, and, and then have compassion for yourself. So, um, there's, there's, I think a lot of, um, a lot of healing in being able to, to love yourself as we're, um, uh, encouraged or or um, uh, petitioned to do, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that means love yourself, you know. It, that it's uh, so that that self love, and that doesn't mean um, you know the egotistical part of you, but that you know that that pure pure um, self. Um, well, love and compassion is so important and, and to know that when you, when you know that and when you feel that, you exude that. It's like it just comes out of you and there's, um, there's no denying it. And, um, you know, it's, 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 I think of it as falling in love with yourself. And, um, and yes, we're, we're um, again petitioned or, or yeah, commanded or encouraged to um, think of others before we think of ourselves, um, which is good. I mean, we want to we want to to be um, care for others and have compassion for others. But if if you're not feeling that or even doing the things that you know are in your best interest. Then um, you're not going to be able to share that with that with other people. Uh-huh. So um, I'm I'm stuck. I'm not quite sure. No, I don't think you're stuck at all. I think that's amazing. I mean, to be able to uh, you know have have compassion for other people. 
Uh, but also I think that it's so easy for us, you know, as human beings to be able to give to people, right? Because if I asked you, hey, Pam, I need something, you would give to me. But it's so hard for us a lot of times to receive that love and to receive that love towards ourselves. And we'll, we'll, you'll take the shirt off your back. But a lot of times when someone goes to bless us or you or, you know, when they go to bless us, then we have the tendency to say, no, 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 I don't need anything. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. But what I hear you saying to Maddox and McKenna is, you know, that same compassion and love that, that you have for other people, make sure that you have it for yourself. And make sure yeah. that you fill that up uh, as Absolutely. much as possible. Right. And, you know, receiving, it's like you brought that up, that receiving is so much, I mean, it, it's, it's really more important than giving in a lot of respects, you know. And, and, you know, especially if you're already a, you know, you're a compassionate, loving person. And, and you know that, um, you know, when you give something, you give it from your heart. Well, you know, receiving and accepting that same gesture from other people is, is wow. I mean, that is powerful. And especially if you're one, um, you know, like I, ha- I, I had a tendency to, to be that way. I don't anymore. <laughs> uh, I've learned over the years and through my experiences that, you know, when someone offers something, you know, genuinely and, um, and, I know that that it's coming from their heart. Um, then yes, I will receive it. There's there's no doubt about it, and I'll I'll accept it. And I'll I'll tell you what I had never. I and I grew up with a lot of love. My family, um, you know, I was surrounded by um, my parents and brothers and sisters, but also. A, very large extended family and community. Um, and so I, I knew love, but it wasn't until my first cancer diagnosis and people started sending cards and coming by the house, bringing food. And it was like, I have never felt so loved in my life. And, and now what I realized is that I, I was not blocking that, but but it was like, oh, well, um, just not receiving it like I had, um, um, like I did then. So it, it was, um, that to me, that's, that's one of the largest blessings from going through um, this, you know, what can be looked at as a terrible disease. There, there's lots of wisdom and lots of blessings surrounding it. And, um, boy, one of those was to really realize that, that I am loved. And, and I see, um, I think it's, it's as important to me, though, at this point to know for, for my loved ones to know that I know they love me and that they, that they know that I love them in return. Um, and it's not a, it's not a give take or, or any of that kind of stuff. It's just an unconditional, um, natural thing. And, you know, love is, love is all there is. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think that, you know, the receiving and receiving 
and and owning it and receiving it really into your heart and knowing that that's basically what you are, who you are as love, as we all are. Absolutely. Well, I think it's cool because we end the way that we started. And uh, I told the story about um, receiving the Jordans that, that my aunt got for me. Oh, yeah. So I want you to realize, guys, out there that uh, if you're listening to this, I want you to realize that what I was doing is I was showing wisdom at that age by accepting uh, my aunt buying me the coolest shoes in the world. <laughs> so I was teaching you, Aunt Pam. I realized that I was teaching you that lesson about me receiving all the gifts that you were trying to give me. And I, I, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. Um, from uh, from teenage mom uh, to teenage bride to uh, to mom passing away at 20 years old to, uh, you know, going through a divorce to being remarried to being diagnosed in 1996 with, with cancer to f fighting and beating it. And then 2000, it, and you, you come back out and you have another outbreak. And then, you know, a couple years ago it happens again, but you still, it seems like you keep getting stronger with every single adversity. And it, I, I believe it's because of your attitude and your attitude has just been a shining light. Um, you are a source of power for me. Uh, for our whole family. And now I'm so glad to be able to share you with all of our listeners because Aunt Pam, and that's what you all need to call her. She isn't, you don't call her by her first name, but Aunt Pam uh, represents to me uh, strength and, um, and doing the right thing and being able to be just a beacon of love. And I, I want to uh, tell you from the bottom of my heart, Aunt Pam, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you, Kelly. It's, it's been an honor and a, and a privilege. And, um, I, um, I, I love you dearly. And from the time I saw those big brown eyes and that big smile when you were a, you were a baby coming, coming from, you know, you flew in with your mama from England and you were in a stroller and I'll never forget that smile on your face. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and you still have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th I thank you so much. So uh, make sure to, thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Uh, like it, subscribe, do all the things that you're supposed to do. And uh, honestly, um, make sure that you uh, channel your Aunt Pam when you go through any adversity or uh, when it's time for you as a person to receive love. And we thank you so much uh, uh, for being on the podcast, uh, Aunt Pam. All right. Yeah.